0: Hello, and welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. So a couple weeks ago, I went to Brazil. Um, Some of you know we were missionaries there for 17 years. It had been six years since I'd been back. And I went to a pastor's conference and uh, got to hang out for a couple days at the beach with some really good friends. And um, at the beach, we were walking around and we went on this... uh, cement dock, and we, a bunch of people were fishing, but one guy was using this deal, and so what he was, hes this is easier without the robe, um. so he was up on the dock, and he would, on a string, lower this down, it had a big piece of fish, probably smelly fish, in the middle clamped onto it, and he lowered it down to the, to the bottom of the, it was actually the mouth of the river right by the ocean, and when he lowered it down, then the sides open up. And then, in about two or three minutes, he'd bring it back up and there'd be a bunch of crabs caught in it. He'd take out the crabs, put them in his bucket, lower it back down again. Crabs would go across, looks wide open to the crabs, looks like, wow, free fish, up into the bucket, home for supper. I think it was also dark, which is probably when the crabs tend to come out more, Um, the crabs Obviously, didn't realize what was going to happen, what was happening. How many of you know where this is going? <laughs> this is the Screwtape Letters, which I highly recommend to you by C.S. Lewis. Um, I want to read to you one of the quotes from the beginning of it. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils, meaning demons or evil spirits. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Now, our culture is primarily materialist. And by that, I don't mean materialistic, which we also are, which means we're way too interested in our stuff. But a materialist is someone who discounts the spiritual realm, probably doesn't even believe in demons, Um, believes that, you know, really all we can know is what we can see of the physical realm. And so what scientific theories are saying is the only thing we can rely on as true, even though in the past hundred years, fundamental scientific theories have changed and changed and will keep probably changing. Um, But people, materialists tend to rely on just scientific theory and that the Bible or their experience of God is not reliable. One of my favorite quotes from uh, Christian philosopher and pastor Dallas Willard is the following, "In contrary to that. There is knowledge of God and the spiritual nature of man, as well as other types of reality, for example, moral obligations, that are not reducible to the world dealt with by the so-called natural sciences. The idea that knowledge, and of course reality, is limited to that world is the single most destructive idea on the stage of life today. Patrick shared with you about at-risk children in Africa. In Africa, also in Brazil, uh, there's a much greater awareness of the reality of the spiritual realm. Uh, Sometimes people get what C.S. Lewis would call an excessive and unhealthy interest in that. We have a lot of voodoo in Brazil, um, what we would call voodoo spiritism. But here, we go the other way in C.S. Lewis's quote, "We we tend not to believe that there are unseen powerful evil agents out to get us." But the apostle Peter writes, "Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour." Just like the man on the deck on the dock who was going to get the crabs and then take them home and devour them. The devil wants to either destroy you or at least dramatically limit your impact as a follower of Jesus. And the way that he generally does that is is rather than put raw fish in there, can you read this? Options. He just gives you options. Puts them right in there. Lowers it down in front of you. Looks like it's wide open. Looks like there's no problem getting those options and we don't even see the trap until holds it up. What are some of those options? Well, you're all aware that some of the options God has set are off limits. They're things that he's, he's told us not to do that are actually sin or evil because they aren't good for us or aren't good for other people. Things like using heroin or cocaine or drinking too much or eating too much or sex outside of marriage or pornography or bullying or bad-mouthing, obvious things we all know about those. But there are also options that are actually good options. Those are probably the devil's favorite options to put in there for Christians. They're good unless they distract us from loving God most of all. They're they're good unless they keep us from following Jesus in the way that the Bible says we should. What do Americans value more than anything else right now? I think it was the Pew Report came out recently, that always coming out, and they said, Americans now value family more than anything. That probably doesn't surprise you. God wants us to love our family well, but can you invest too much time, too much energy, too much money in your family so that, so much so that you're not loving God well and you're not following Jesus well? I see it all the time. Does, does God want students to, Study hard, yeah. But can you invest so much time, so much energy in school that you just don't have anything left over to follow Jesus? Very little inner transformation is taking place because it's all there. Does God want people to work hard in their career? Certainly. But can you invest so much time and so much energy in excelling at your career that your first love of Jesus goes away and you're not using your spiritual gifts to serve other people. Happens a lot. Much of the time we see people who claim to be followers of Jesus spending too much time and energy and often too much money on their family or their schooling or their sports or their careers or their partying or their video gaming or their vacationing. And those are not bad things. They're not inherently sinful or evil, they're good options. But just like it's good for the crab to get in here and get some scraps of fish, It's not good when it becomes part of a trap. The devil loves to use good things to keep us from the best things, and good things are often easier to pursue than the best things, and then we miss out. My purpose today is to try to just be really clear about your options, okay? About your options, Um, choices, consequences. But I want you... This particular message... um, I would be very surprised if a whole bunch of barriers are not already going up. If you're not always going, but we're not alone in here. I'm not the issue. I'm just the messenger. The Holy Spirit is here and I hope you're listening. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we do invite you to speak to us even if we think we know what you want us to do, that we would be that you would open us up, that you would break through, that you would speak clearly uh, for choices you want us to make. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you open a Bible or an app to Ephesians chapter four? We're gonna start at verse 11. It's on page 977 in your pew Bible. There are a lot of places that say what this passage says, but this is probably the primary location for what I'm going to talk about today. So it's always good to know where, the, where it's located. So Ephesians 4, starting at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Now that's five categories. Does that cover every type of spiritual gift in the church? No, absolutely not. Uh, last week, Amanda did an excellent job talking about Paul's message in 1 Corinthians 12 and how, you know, the hand can't say to the foot, you know, I don't like you or, you know, just there are, and she even used a skeleton, which was really cool. Um, But uh, there are lots of different gifts. These are just five of them. Some of us are called to other things. My particular calling is, is to be a pastor, which is on this list. What does the Bible say is my job as a pastor? Verse 12, to equip The saints for the work of ministry. Now you realize that most churchgoers in America have misunderstood. They think that we hire pastors to do the ministry. That's not true, that's not biblical. God gives us pastors to equip the saints, those who have decided to have chosen to follow Jesus, to do the ministry. Equipping others to do ministry is the ministry of the pastor pastor's not supposed to do most of the evangelism or most of the helping of the poor or most of the praying for the sick. That doesn't mean the pastor won't necessarily be able to do those things and often the best way to train people is take them with you and, and let them see you doing it and then they do it. But the primary function of the pastor is, equip, is to equip other people to use their gifts as they are equipped. Continuing, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Part of the equipping process is imparting knowledge. Not knowledge that the pastor makes up, but what the Bible clearly says. And I will tend to emphasize almost always the 95% of the Bible that's really clear and not get into a whole bunch of the 5%, which may be really fun, but is kind of unclear and people argue about. Um, Now, the pastor's not the only one called by God to teach there are teachers, there are elders, there are small group leaders, all of us working together, and we use this this diagram a lot because what we all agree about as elders and pastors and teachers, we agree about the essentials, about who Jesus is, what he did, what he accomplished, who we are, that, we, that none of us is good enough to make it into God's presence, that we need a savior who does it for us. We believe the essential things. We also agree about a lot of the important things because we chose to be Presbyterians and you know, have a Presbyterian church and so forth. We don't think that you have to believe, agree with us about those things, but the leadership agrees about a bunch of important things. But we don't, we don't stress if there's peripheral or speculative things that we don't all agree about. We want to especially agree about the essentials. And then there's some important things that just we running a church we have to kind of agree to, to do. But when Paul writes, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, well, that's what we're stressing here is the essentials and, and some of the important things that we can all get behind. And so the role of the pastor, the teacher, the small group leaders is in helping us understand that body of knowledge so that, as we'll read later, you don't get led astray. Because no matter when or where you live, a thousand years ago, a thousand years from now, your culture will always have some things that it's trying to persuade you the Bible is wrong about. They change with time, they change with the culture, but you need a solid foundation of knowledge from the scriptures. So in addition to equipping people to actually use their gifts in ministry and to helping people understand what the Bible says, the pastor is also supposed to orient people to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in what we call the transformation process. That's what comes next in the middle of verse 13. To mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now three weeks ago, when I last spoke to you, we looked at Romans 8:29, where it talks about what God's purpose for you is after saying that He will make all things work for good according to His purpose, or your, who are, for those who are called according to His purpose. He then says, for those whom he foreknew, he'd be predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What's he all about? He wants to transform you, not to make you lose your identity or your personality, but rather to have the character of Christ, to have in your heart the same desires, the same attitudes of patience and love and other things that, that Christ has, increasingly to become more like him. All of this equipping and learning what the Bible says and Becoming more like Jesus results in verse 14 following. Let me read it to you. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Builds itself up in love. What's the first commandment? The greatest commandment? Love God. What's the second? Love your neighbors yourself. It builds itself up in love. All of this is supposed to make us more like Jesus, more knowledgeable of how to love people well so that we love God well and we love each other well and love people, outsiders well as well. So what is my responsibility as a pastor And the responsibility of teachers and small group leaders, well, equip you to use your spiritual gifts in ministry, help you understand what the Bible teaches, help you cooperate with the Holy Spirit as you're becoming more like Jesus. What is your responsibility? To cooperate by being available and teachable. It's that simple. Some of you have heard me use this metaphor before. I'll use it again. One of the best metaphors... In our culture for what this means is how we should operate as a church, pastor, uh, people that they're called to something other than pastoring. One of the best metaphors comes from the world of sports. Uh, Think of a college soccer team. The church, the body of Christ, those of you who have chosen to follow Jesus, you're like a soccer team, metaphorically. In a soccer team, some people are better at passing the ball, some people are better at defense, some are better at offense. One person plays the goalie, in the body of Christ, in the church, as Amanda pointed out last week, we have different gifts, different strengths. We're called to do different things. So some are called to be are better at evangelism. We all do some evangelism, but some are better at it. Some, it's more hospitality. Some, they're going to be pastors or teachers. There some, God will use dramatically to heal people that are sick. There are a lot of different gifts. God tells us that we are to use our spiritual gifts together. First, we do it in the context of the church because if we don't do this well, nobody's coming back. We also go out into the world and help with the needy and various other people, but we especially use our gifts according to the scriptures. We use them first and foremost here. But just like the individuals on a team of soccer players will be stronger in some areas and others will be stronger in other areas, followers of Jesus have different spiritual gifts and we're to use them to minister to each other. Now, within this sports metaphor, you are the soccer players. The pastor functions much like the coach. Again, he's not supposed to be the one doing the ministry. He's not supposed to be the one out on the playing field. He's supposed to be equipping people to be out on the playing field, equip you to use your gifts, teach you what the Bible says, help you in the process of becoming more like Jesus. What determines whether or not a soccer team plays up to its potential? Some of you have played organized sports. Generally, it's whether or not people devote the right amount of time to getting in shape and then to practicing together. Who's supposed to orient the team when they're practicing together and to tell them how to get in shape? The coach. If the coach is a good coach and they follow the coach's orientation, they will play well. They may not be all-stars, but they'll live up to their potential. If they don't show up for practice or don't get in shape, they won't play well. What are the benefits of playing soccer well? Well, you get to win more. You get to have camaraderie with your fellow uh, players. You you might get a scholarship or even become a professional. That's not very likely, but it's possible. You learn some disciplines and how to take care of your body. What are the benefits of letting your pastors pastor you? Well, you'll learn to use your gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit to change lives. If you've been equipped well, you'll do that better than if you just try and figure it out on your own. You'll learn what the Bible teaches, so you won't be just at the... uh, just subject to what the world is throwing at you in terms of all kinds of things that conflict with what God has told us in the Scriptures. And you'll experience more transformation more rapidly than, again, if you just figure it out on your own. Now, effective coaches are not necessarily better than the players that they coach... Uh, Steve Kerr, Kerr, Kerr is the coach of the Golden State Warriors, and um, he has never been, will never be as good as Steph Curry. Go Warriors tonight. Um, but he knows how to get them to do teamwork. He knows how to get them in shape. He knows how to get them to recover from injury. As the coach, he's not supposed to be on the, the court. He's supposed to help them be the best they can be. Effective pastors are not necessarily the best in the congregation at evangelism or at praying for someone to be healed or at leading a small group or helping the hungry. They may do all of those things and train people to do them but they're there to help others develop their spiritual gifts, to work as a team, to understand the Bible and all be engaged in the process of transformation. If someone wants to play on a college soccer team but they won't show up for practice, they won't get in shape, Will the team do as well as it would have? No. The coach probably won't even put them in the game. If someone claims to be a follower of Jesus, but they're not available and teachable, they're just kind of showing up occasionally, whatever their way overloaded schedule will allow, how effective is the church likely to be? How well are they likely to understand what God has communicated to us in the Scriptures? How much transformation are they likely to be experiencing in their hearts, if they're just kind of fitting it in as their overloaded schedule allows? And next week, if you choose to come back, and, and trust me, I realize no one likes to. Everybody likes to come to church on Sunday and feel some good feelings not to be said, you know, we actually um, need you to make some changes. Uh, Next week, we'll get into more specifically what that looks like. And I, I only ask you what pastors all over the world are asking all of their people, what the Bible clearly says. We don't try to overdo it. We just try to be very reasonable about that. But I promise you that if you will be reasonably available and teachable, You will find far greater fulfillment and transformation than if you just overload your schedule with all kinds of really good options that will keep you from God's best. It doesn't feel like a trap when you're doing this and doing that and all these fun options that just you want to do your whole life, and just all of a sudden your schedule is just too loaded to be able to give just a reasonable amount of time to following Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, then you have to give the time required to staying in spiritual shape, to serving together. You experience a lot of benefits. You will feel known and loved unconditionally by God and by the people close to you here you'll get to see God use you to transform lives. And you'll look back every year and go, hey, I'm more patient than I was a year ago. Or I'm this or I'm that. You'll see God transforming you and the people close to you will too. Now, God tells us that this kind of life where we are available and teachable so that we can be pastored effectively, it's actually what is is best for for us. God's not trying to take something from you. I know that's how it feels when you come on a morning like this and I'm saying this kind of thing. Oh, he's trying to take something from us. no. The devil wants you to disagree with God and choose an overloaded schedule because of too many options. And then he's got you. And even if you don't abandon Jesus, you will be so less effective in the lives around you. Jesus is trying to give you something, not taking something from you, but the choice is yours. The crab does not perceive that he is in the trap until it's too late. Fortunately, Jesus is in the business of breaking people out of the devil's trap, so it's not too late. Competitive soccer has some limited benefits, and we see soccer players all over this county who are just giving so many hours, so many more than I think it's worth, and following the orientation of their coach. Following Jesus has enormous eternal benefits, yet most churchgoers give very little time to it, and they won't follow the orientation of their pastor. One of the most frustrating things in the world for pastors is when the people that a pastor is responsible for aren't available and teachable. Pastors spend years getting trained, getting experienced, and keeping up to date through conferences and books. When I was a missionary in Brazil, I helped to train pastors and Brazilian missionaries. I trained them in how to develop small groups and how to help their people have spiritual disciplines and how to get involved in ministry, how to be transformed. I was extremely moved and encouraged uh, at the Pastors Conference in Brazil a couple weeks ago. Um, A number of my former students were there. Uh, They were my students 25, 30 years ago. And they made a point, they've been pastoring now for decades, and they made a point of coming up to me and just telling me how the training that I'd given them had not only been important to them personally, but also their ministry all these years. I'm asking you this week, as you leave here, think and pray about whether or not you would be willing to be available and teachable for me and our other pastors to pastor you, just in the way the Bible describes Would the band come on up? We're going to share the Lord's Supper together now and the way that we're doing this is that we just want you to just spend some time getting your soul ready. Listening to whatever the Holy Spirit is saying to you. We'll have four different places where you can come and you you take a piece of bread and you dip it in the juice and partake and then go back to your seat. And you can do that whenever you're ready. We'll also have back there by that prayer wreath and right up here in this corner by this prayer wreath a couple of prayer stations. And if God's speaking to you or there's something going on in your life or somebody that you're concerned about, I would urge you, take advantage of this. We're gonna have a long time just for you to... Do what you need to do to do business with God, either being prayed for or praying with someone for someone else and partaking of communion. And if, if, uh, yeah, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would work just so powerfully now, surprise us, that we would see people healed, that we would see relationships healed, that we would see you break through. We ask that you would use these simple elements of bread and juice um, to work mysteriously in our souls and draw us close to you. Help us once again to remember what you did for us on the cross and may that inspire us to follow you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, Visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.